Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. I'm your host, Jack Tetrunk Hussey. Sounds a bit ridiculous still referring to myself as Tetrunk. It's, it's dead, mate. It's gone. Give it up. You're a spent force. No, I can't. Uh, it's, I'm still doing this. I'm still being constructive. I'm doing stuff. Just, I, I'll stop my meltdown here and uh, introduce Mr. Raj Baines. How you doing, Raj? I was like listening to a radio play version of Birdman. It, it, essentially, as Twitter's Birdman, I'll, I'll take that. The, only, only Birdman was successful, and yeah, to Trunk, well, uh, I don't know, I did all right. <laughs> did all right for myself, you know. Got got mentioned in the Guardian, mentioned in the the Metro funny pages, mate. You know, I managed to get a girlfriend. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Started shagging the groupies. Kind of, yeah, something, something like that. Something don't, like don't that. tell Charlotte I referred to as a groupie because I have the feeling that she will beat the shit out of me. Yeah, I legitimately knock you out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Sebastian Stafford Bloor as well. Hello, Sebastian. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, mate. Well, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm not doing well. I, I'm, um, I'm having my house renovated at the moment, so I'm, um, I'm between addresses, and I've spent the last couple of days carrying furniture. And, um, and you've, uh, in old man fashion, you've you've got an old man injury, don't you? <laughs> my back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was saying to um, I was saying to to Raj when we when we just before we started recording, I um, instead of getting out of bed as I may have once used to, I had to to actually roll this morning, just roll to the side and, and kind of crawl out. It wasn't, I don't know, I I didn't I didn't feel I, I didn't feel an overwhelming sense of pride. When that happened. If you want me to uh, make you feel really old, I think just about there is the same gap in age between myself and Seb as there is between Seb and my dad. Um, <laughs> there's the same same time period between the two. It will. Um, no, you, so, you always say that you you, you you kind of you have this pretense of invincibility, kind of eternal youth in in your mind, but it will happen to you one day, Rog. No, I was actually I was, I was actually texting uh, one of my friends from college today, and uh, I was having a chat to her just about um, we, we were just having a, essentially a catch up um, because we hadn't spoken to each other for a while, and um, we we started talking about the work we did and stuff like that, and. Um, she, she like halfway through, she just went, I remember when the only times we used to text each other was to sort of plan a night out or organise when we were not going to college. And now we're talking about sort of what career moves we're wanting to make. When did we become old? And I sort of caught myself and went, yeah, I'm actually pretending like I'm a grown-up now. It's a bit it's a bit weird compared to how I used to be a handful of years ago. So it's uh, it happens in stages. It's not like I'm... Uh, 
Um, I'm not a, a kid anymore, unfortunately. No, Although it happen in stages. You just wake up one morning and you'll be fucked. Yeah, gut, bad back, a lot. I'm going to wake up one morning and go, like, have that realization that I've become Seb. (laughs) Just ridiculous. Put put my slippers on. Go to bed at nine thirty. Yeah, Coco, candle on the plate. The lot. Watch nothing but repeats of the World at War on History Channel. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have the World at War box set? I don't know. I no, no, I don't. I bet you'd watch it if we bought it you on the like a box set though. <laughs> I actually was. Well, the, the funny thing is, that I, I am. I'm, I'm living in my dad's house at the moment, and um, before we we started recording, um, we had some supper, and um, there's a little TV in the kitchen, and we were watching, we were watching TV together, and I caught myself making similar comments to, to, to the ones that he generally makes, and I just thought this is this is kind of a this is one of those life moments you think, oh my god. Start turning into my father. We're watching. There's a program on the, on the BBC about hoarding. It's, like, it's called The Collectors or something. It's full of people who stuff their houses <laughs> with crazy stuff. Like there was last night, there was um, somebody who, who kind of who, who, who collected stuffed animals and skeletons and it's just kind of creepy. And, and it, it's become, it's weirdly become part of our routine. I've only been here for 24 hours, but it already feels like that. So. My aunt's a um, she's a clinical psychologist and um, she she works for the NHS, so she deals with people like that who who are hoarders. Mm. Only she deals with the people who are who are clinically ill, and the hoarding is a way of sort of them dealing with their attachment problems. And she says some of the houses she goes to where like she goes into one room where like you you physically can't move through the house because there are so many things there. They don't want to get rid of anything whatsoever. There's there's like essentially one way, just like literally it's not. Because this is about keeping specific stuff. No, this is where they keep they keep, they keep certain stuff, but then they'll like they'll keep absolutely everything as well. Oh, okay. um, Jack just Jack just sent me a text where he said, "I like how you giggle when when Seb said supper," and I did. I laughed at you because nobody says supper where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just heard it. I could hear it in the background. Yeah, I was just just laughing at the difference between. I mean, so, but um, yeah, she she goes to people's houses where they they essentially attach themselves to things and they, they can't let things go. And she was telling us about one particularly bad one where she had to take an ambulance with her because they were having to section somebody. Um, and sometimes you have to do it like not forcibly, but you have to sort yeah. of coerce them away. And that's usually the the ambulance people's jobs because they have to actually clean them because these people. Their hygiene problems are terrible. But she was, like, going through this person's house trying to speak to them. They'd have, like, uh, the bathroom wouldn't be clean, so it'd just be full of excrement. And there was one room, she said, which was particularly bad. And we're a a family of cat people. We don't like dogs as a sort of a a rule, a general rule. Although there are a couple of black sheep within the family who have suggested we get a black... uh, Get a black? We've we've already got a black, I call him Dad. Get a dog. um, (laughs) We get a dog. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We we get a dog and... um, and we've we've all we've all said no, but um, the, the, the um, I just made that joke off the cuff. I, I imagine people aren't going to take that in the best of fashions. Same. Um, but-
but um, no, she went into this one room. I'm trying to get back onto this story of mental health. She went into this one room where there was like three or four dead cats that had just not like been fed or anything, and they were just there like decomposing on the floor. Oh and she God. said like she was literally having to like feel a bit wretchy herself. And she goes at one point. They've, she's got these uh, these paramedics with her, and they were having to check on her as much as they were the actual oh, people, geez, because terrible. the house was in that that sort of disrepair. But yeah, that's that's what you rem- that your your viewing habits reminded me of these these poor people who have had some sort of loss in their life, and they're having to deal with it in those extreme manners. Well, these people aren't. They're not. These these people weren't bad people. They were just kind of. They're not bad people, sort of, Seb. They're mentally no, ill. No, I mean, the, the ones you're describing, yes, but the, the the people in this program weren't really <laughs> mentally ill. They were they were just. The the, the 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 collecting part of their life was 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 filling a void somewhere. So there was someone. There was a sort of elderly lady who had. Um, she's obsessed with the royal family. So she had different rooms where where she would collect like um, Prince Charles plates, and she had this entire um, bit for Prince George, and and she had this kind of slightly creepy memorial thing for Princess Diana. <laughs> and it was. I mean, it, it, it's. I'm not going to say you should Sky Plus it or go and find it on. The she a Daily Mail columnist. <laughs> I can't, do you do you remember? I can. Uh, there used to be a guy on one of these kind of programs, like Life of Grime, and all these oh, different yeah, yeah. shows. There, there was that old Polish guy, like an old Polish war veteran, who they always used to wheel out for these kind of kleptomania type um, programs. He used to just like his house was. You know, floor to ceiling with old boxes of newspapers and I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this kind of stuff, and he just he'd have like a tunnel system that he built through his house. But I can remember the 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 courts managed to get some kind of injunction on him, whereby it, essentially the neighbours complained enough because there were rats and smell and so on and so forth that they had to clean out his house. Um, and they were digging through all this kind of crap in the garden. Was, we took like mountains of crap, and they found this because uh, I guess it had been preserved under, you know, probably literal excrement. Um, this like World War Two motorbike and sidecar and everything like that, and they, they wanted to, to uh, donate it to like a local museum, and they spent this painstaking amount of time like digging it out from underneath all these boxes and so on and so forth. And then, like a load of contractors came in to uh, clear away a load of the stuff, and I think they been with there. a with with a crane. No, they they ended up like knocking a tree over in the garden, and it fell onto this bike and crushed it. After they spent all this time, oh. yeah, digging it out. But that was that. I guess you had to see it, you bastards. Um, the only thing more sad and uh, worrying than talking about people who have attachment problems and. Uh and live in disrepair is having to speak about Tottenham against Burnley yeah. because that yes. was, uh, in some ways, a lot less uh, a lot less to talk about there. I, I only wish there was something as disturbing as having happened than that sort of programme because I don't think anything happened whatsoever. I suppose the only real talking point was that Harry Kane was captain. Got any thoughts about that at all, lads? Yeah, it was nice to see. I think it was just, I, I, I don't... I didn't look at it as something which held a great deal of significance. It was just a sort of nice moment. I, I saw him on Twitter afterwards, and he was obviously it obviously meant a lot to him. So, you know, I, I just the game itself was, was I I don't know. I, I, it's one of those where if if we'd have been thumped three 0 there'd be more to say about it. But it was just this slow paced, turgid nothing, um, and. 
I, I don't know. We just we just seem to we, we seem to spend the entire game playing in second gear with no intent really to do anything. We didn't ever really look like we wanted to force the issue. It didn't ever actually look like we were bothered about coming away with anything other than a point, which was a little strange. You got anything to add at all, Raj? No, genuinely nothing happened whatsoever. It was pretty much woeful the entire. Um, yeah. the entire match the, the substitutions were questionable the timing of bringing on Townsend given that we, we spoke quite favourably about him last time that he wasn't brought on early enough uh, Lamella actually did quite well in that he actually tried running forwards when he came on there was some sort of impetus in his play um, was refreshing uh, Polino again was you know uh, his contribution to, contribution contribution to the side is, uh, is somewhat questionable uh, to say the very least I don't want to spend a long time sort of uh, deconstructing how bad he was is you know what's worth saying though at this point what is, is I, I think Polino I mean I, and a few people have raised this on Twitter Polino has to play a little bit between now and the end of the season because a, a decision has to be made in his future you know he, he, we, we, we need to work out whether he's, he's <laughs> staying at the club and to do that he needs to be given a little bit of game time and I'm sure he'll create plenty of vines along the way as he does that and you know, all kinds of YouTube hilarity will ensue, but it's just a, it's a necessary evil. We, our season is kind of over, so you know, you've got to, you've got to find out what this, you know, have, have a little bit of a look at the fringes of this. I completely agree in that regard. That what I was going to say is, I don't think there's any worth in us sort of deconstructing a bad perform, bad performance from him because there's, um, there's no. no real surprise that he's, he's played badly because that's what he's done more often than not for us. So to, to sort of. And just beat him while he's down would be sort of even even more deconstructive than otherwise. But it was it was there was no real creation between the lines. It was a what, what Carl Walker's injury didn't help. We uh, it was very lopsided. There seemed to be points where we weren't playing without a winger on one side, which allowed Burnley to double up on Carl Walker. And we've we've said this previously about other games. Um, and it's it's a real concern that it either happens on the left or the right because we we're not playing players who are multifaceted enough or even comfortable enough to play on the wing, um, and and are able to do the do the dual role of protecting their fullback as well as attacking the opposition's fullback. So we need to uh, we need to improve on that in the summer, and I think that is the more we're seeing that happen to us, the more we're being exposed wide, the, the more pressing that issue becomes. You know, I think actually one of the things is, is one we can, sorry, Jack, but I, in the summer, I think a priority has to be, um, it just occurred to me during the game, I, I, I know Andros Townsend is left-footed, but I don't really see him as a naturally left-sided player. I would like to see some natural left-sided width as an option. Someone who can actually stay on the touchline, because I, I think when you... When, when, when you have a... Because let's, let's, let's give Bernie some credit. They, they were kind of organised and their back four did play quite well. They were pretty resilient and they didn't afford a lot of space. But part of the reason was is because we didn't really stretch the pitch. You know, the wider your midfield gets, you know, the more, the more ground a, a back four obviously has to cover. And we don't really have players who can, you, you, you can, you can provide that as an option. And I'd like to see, you know, not just pace for the sake of it, but people who can actually play on the extremities of the pitch. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, the um, the one not on, not an excuse, but the one explanation I I tweeted during the game 
uh, was the fact that our our squad was essentially reassembled midweek after the internationals. Yeah, they not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. They were underprepared, probably tired than the Burnley set were in Burnley. In in all fairness to them, because they don't have as many internationals, they don't have any as many players leaving the the squad. They had a much longer time to prepare and to stay fit and stay sharp for that one. So, uh, given that if you put it down on paper like that, it looks much more like a potential banana skin to have come away having limited them as much as they perhaps limited us. It, it may. It doesn't seem like a good result because um, the way in which we performed, I'm not going to say it is, but it may not be as bad as it may seem. Yes, the team that wants to avoid relegation, right? And we've, for all intents and purpose, got nothing to play for. So it's, you know... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad result, but it's not a terrible result, is what I'm trying to say. You know? Anyway, well, let's, uh, let's move swiftly on um, to a fixture that a few months back probably wouldn't have meant a lot, but... For a rather unpleasant reason, now probably means quite a lot, at least in the emotional stakes. Hello, welcome back to Rule the Roost, Mr. Sam Tai. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, guys. How are you? Yeah, all very good, all very good. You speak to, uh, after you poached him from me, Sam, you speak to Raj quite a bit nowadays, don't you, mate? I get arguably too much of Raj on a sort of daily and weekly basis. Uh, so you do... do and, how how is that? May may we ask you can plug your uh, you can plug your, your dalliances now. Go on. We speak uh, most weeks. I'd like to say every week, but it's uh, scheduled pending on the UMAX podcast, which I'm sure your readers will have or listeners, in fact, will have would have probably heard of because Raj, I think, promotes it fairly heavily to make sure he keeps his job. From the ruler roof down. I like to, <laughs> I like to kind of take a bit of uh, credit for Raj's development um, in you know prepping him for the big time, uh, which I guess leads us quite nicely, <laughs> let's just cut straight into it, to a certain uh, chap that we share a certain affection for, Mr Samtai. Uh, just before we really delve into the meat and bones of the Tim Sherwood issue, uh, how do you feel about him? <laughs> how do I feel about Tim Sherwood? I'm already laughing. I'm sick of him, man. Honestly, um, uh, it, he just makes <laughs> things up, doesn't he? When he comes, he just he makes things up on the spot, um, yeah. and it's just it's just rubbish. It's, most of it is just rubbish. So, for the first about three weeks, we were all right with it because if you've ever listened to a Paul Lambert press conference, um, parts of it are actually not you know actually able to understand parts of it. It's got a very thick Scottish accent and speaks in a very sort of monotonous tone, and. The other parts are just uh, pick ourselves up and go again. We'll go again. Um, so to hear someone say anything other than those two stock phrases was actually really good. But then after about three weeks, it became very clear that actually he really does make things up. And some of the stuff he's come out with in the last week is quizzical to say the very least. Any any examples you care to share at the moment? Right? Uh, well, just ahead of the game against QPR, he said that QPR have got have got men in their squad. Um, and he has, quote, icing on the cake players, and he was worried that he needed a few more men in his squad to avoid relegation, which, you know, face value, obviously that actually means, that doesn't mean anything, that's just bollocks. But the other the other thing that I find very odd about that is that this the QPR team have got an awful lot of relegations between them, the players, and his own squad have managed to successfully avoid relegation three seasons in a row. 
So not only does it mean fuck all, it's actually completely inaccurate as well. So I was just sat there reading that going, oh, God, what have we got? I love it, the classic old uh, hang, hang his own players out to dry in front of the media and supporters line from Tim Sherwood. It's one we know quite well, isn't it, lads? But it, it's a really weird thing to say, though, because I associate Villa, I mean, it's kind of, there are, there's quite a, a young average age within that squad, but I don't necessarily associate Villa with icing on the cake players, irrespective of the QPR context. I don't think Villa necessarily require another Ashley Westwood, Fabian Delph, Tom Cleverley, um, Carlos Sanchez type player. If anything, you could do with a little bit more flourish, wouldn't you say, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why when, when Grealish came in to start against QPR, everybody was very happy. And it's why everybody continues to bay for the, the starting of Carlos Hill. I mean, I think, it's, I think you're right. So He's it's a good basically, player, yeah. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. Basically, it's, um, we, need, we need more icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of Grealish? He's, he, cause he, he's, um, I've only, I think I've only seen him make a couple of substitute appearances, but he looks like a, whether, whether or not he's just a really nice contrast to what else is in that... Um, Side or whether he's actual, actually a, a good player, I'm not quite sure. What do you reckon? Well, yeah, we, we all we all adore him. Um, really? But, but, I mean, it's, you've got to put it all into context. I mean, we've had, <laughs> we've had a terrible year and a terrible three years, really. So anybody with a smidgen of talent um, is, is going to get adored pretty quickly. Uh, and that's why, you know, with, with, with Carlos Hill, like he's had about four, four appearances and we think he's the best player ever. Um, so... With Grealish, yes, there is that there element to it, but he, I'm pretty sure that he's going to be a very, very good player. Like he, he started his first game against QPR, and he was magnificent, to be honest. Um, he's the only one other than Delph who is not afraid to take the ball on the half turn and play one-touch passes to create opportunities. And he, he, he takes us from flat to somewhat potent, um, almost single-handedly. Um, not don't want to hype him up too much. He's not like world-class or anything, but he's, he's going to be a very good player. It looks like it, yeah. Sam, you're well aware of the way in which I personally feel about Tim Sherwood, given the things I've said and written publicly uh, about him. So that's no secret. But um, when he first joined your club, as you said, you were quite hopeful that he, he may well keep you up and that um, given that he was such a contrast to Lambert, he, he might have been good for the club and you're clearly fed up with him now. Um, but is the, the wider fan base feeling that way? Because I remember when I did write the thing about Sherwood and, and pretty much listed every fault I could find with him, um, which did go on for quite a while, as you can imagine, with a man as... Long pace, full very of, long pace. Yeah, with a man full of fault as he is. Um, there were quite a few Aston Villa fans, some of them fearful of what he would do, um, and some of them who just thought, you know, that, that good football man line, and they thought he may well uh, give that passion and, and uh, aggression that they needed some of his favourite buzzwords but is the wider fan base as sick of him as, as you've become with him or is it still pretty friendly? Um, yeah, I mean I think my, my attitude is, uh, is, is more or less mirrored uh, across the fan base. I think, I think we all felt the same to start with um, perhaps moulded by, by a piece that I did about how I think he'd keep us up but long term huge question marks perhaps somewhat moulded by, by your piece about you know his traits and, and who he really is uh, once you get you know six weeks in or whatever um, everybody everybody is pretty convinced that because he's such a polar opposite to Lambert that he will give the squad uh, the kick up the arse they need to, to survive but it, I think most people then are also pretty worried about 
you know what what damage he might be able to do if he was given money and transfer funds and things like that um, or or a sort of a, you know larger exposure to the team or, or the or the club um, so yeah I, I would honestly say that that most people are are quite aware that he's you know uh, he is who he is but we're willing to tolerate it as long as he keeps us up. So, bit bit sad. The thing to note with you, Raj, as well, obviously, with that piece you did, which was, which was obviously, it's already comes to light that it's pretty much spot on. You're insulting, you know, you're insulting uh, a, cl- a fan base's brand new manager, and they, they, you want to get behind your new manager. So, when you read a piece like that, some of them will go, oh, no. And some of them will go, well, no, 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 give them a chance, and that's why you'll get the, the backward reaction. But, of course, that's what, that's what, that that, that's what football is, isn't it? That's exactly what we had last year. Exactly the same reaction. I kind of, he came in with all the, I mean, I, I, you know, with all the, that familiar bluster and all the rhetoric that journalists seem to love so much in press conferences. And for that first six weeks, there were a lot of people on social media saying, "Oh no, I quite like this guy. He's refreshing." And 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 then gradually, you, you get this kind of sort of horrible realization about just how empty a lot of what he says really is. Um, and it then you it. By the you know beyond that six week period, it just it's this low drone in the background that carries on throughout the rest of the year. It's um it's truly dispiriting. It was a uh, bankrupt Spurs who was collecting all the kind of media <laughs> quotes that they were using to describe Tim Sherwood's management style. So there are all these kind of ones like ruffles feathers and puts the cat not afraid to put the cat amongst the pigeons all these kind of things that you're like when you're having to sell a manager with you know superlatives like that you shake shake things up you you know (laughs) yeah exactly exactly that um He's just—he's unbearable. I was just All looking these at phrases that don't mean anything, basically. Yeah, yeah. I've used one as well, haven't I? I said, "Kick!" I said, "Give a kick, give him a kick up the arse." Add that to the list. You know, it's the same yeah. sort of thing, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, stock phrases. Given that we've pretty much panned him from the first moment we've come on, um, there is a somewhat of a of a positive effect of the naive way that he sets up his sides. Um, because Aston Villa famously this season couldn't do anything in front of goal. It was like a a team full of Roberto Soldados, if you wanted to make the easy joke. Um, but he, you are actually scoring goals now. You do seem to be a bit more eager in attack. So is that something he's helped? Well, the, the football on the field has definitely improved, but you do look at how it was under Lambert and wonder if it could have got any worse. Um, looking across the league, maybe Steve Brew could have made it worse, but probably there probably aren't many candidates to have made it any any more dire and this you know, when you lose when you lose three nil, it sucks. But when you lose three nil and you never really shoot and it's against, you know, someone that you can feasibly draw or beat, that's the worst bit. So you know, the football is a much better watch and um if there'd been a camera on on me, you know, watching QPR it would have been fairly entertaining. Um the defence can't defend, but the attack can absolutely attack. So that's good. And Benteke has like seven goals in five games or something like that. And, you know, he, he barely had any goals before that. So it's great to see him unlocked. And I think Agbon Lahore was like a, a candidate for player of the month for the Premier League, which doesn't sound right. But, I mean, it's a lot better than he was. So much more exciting. Um, and you do feel as though we will create sort of, you know, five or six chances, probably a 15 shots on goal, which... You know, to, to somebody else listening to that might think, well, that you know, that's 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 normal stuff. But for us, you know, we were averaging like one shot on target a game or something like that. So that's actually really important, and it's made the games more difficult to watch from a nerves perspective. 
at least if we're going to go down, we're going to go down in style. You've touched on Benteke there, Sam. How's he? Uh, how's he doing um, overall since coming back from injury? Because he, he he was out for quite a while, wasn't he? He's yeah. I mean, it's a really difficult one to gauge. Um, he he's had a few injuries, doesn't he? I mean, he did his hip flexor in the season before, and then came back and didn't look comfortable and then he tore his Achilles made a slightly delayed return into the season probably five or six games in can't remember exactly when it was and he was re- it took him it took him 10 games to get back into the rhythm it really has only been since Sherwood was installed um, that he's been that he's been very good but I have to say you know we've only just started playing through him again um, and if you just if you hit if you hit the ball towards him 60 times a game Something will happen. He'll probably get a goal, or at least he will knock it down. Because he is a very good technical target man, so he's been much, much more integral to our attacking play. Um, you know, in in the same way that it used to be a couple of years ago, even even under Lambert. Still, that we just seem to move away from him almost, and and. I don't know, we weren't even really attacking in any sort of direct avenue or we weren't prioritising one one area or another. We were just passing it along the back line and not doing anything. So the first thing Sherwood did really was to get them to, to just lump it into Benteke and, and see if he can do the rest. So he's a he's a focal point now and obviously he is probably our best player when he's on form. So, you know, why not? It seems obvious, doesn't it? It's um Sam. One of the things that I, I watched um watched a few of the show games, and something which seems different now uh, as to what it was on the show under Lambert, that Benteke is playing better, and he's you know he's obviously as you say he he's found a little bit of sharpness since he he came back from injury, but you seem to get a lot more numbers forward with him because under Lambert there never seemed to be more than one gear. It was a kind of everything was so cautious and everything was so built around counter attacking football that. It always looked from the outside as if you were playing into your own weakness, because that defence is, you know, there, there are some good defenders at the club. I, I think Akore is a good player, and, and uh, Ron Vlara is a good player, but there's a lot of vulnerability there, clearly. But now, I mean, one thing I will say for sure is that there seems to be a little bit. I don't, it's a, again, it's a stock phrase, but there is a little bit more ambition. So the ball is going to Bentake, but Bentake has things happening around him a little bit more now. Is that wrong? I mean, it, it's, it's a. It, um, and not an educated opinion, but it just that's something I picked up. Yeah, it's it's about right, and uh, it kind of stems from um, I think with Lambert over the over the over the years, you know, we really wore him down, and um, the the position of manager yeah. at Villa is 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 it does wear people down. You look at the state of Alex McLeish when he left, um, and then how he looks five months later, and if you've seen a picture of Lambert recently, he looks a lot better yeah. since leaving this job. You know, it, it does wear people down. And I think with Lambert, um, you know, we, we, we're, very, we're very well versed in what happens when a, a sort of a supposed, you know, storied or traditional or bigger club goes into the championship. There's no guarantee it comes back up and often it can really go down in flames. And the, the championship is full of clubs that we've seen in the Premier League recently and have never managed to get back up. It can be a death sentence. So with Lambert, I think he was always afraid of putting the final nail in the Villa coffin because with the finances we have and the wages that we support for players that don't deserve them if we were to go down we'd be in serious serious trouble so with him I felt like he was always afraid to be the one that took us down so we shut up shop and played exceptionally cautious football and that translated that fear translated into the players and by the end of it the only way to get that fear out of them was to change the manager and really appoint someone that was so opposite in so many ways, and that was Sherwood. Pond, standing aside, yeah. 
how much is Randy Lerner to blame for the the current situation that Aston Villa are in? Because we asked you previously, pretty much every time you come on, just to get a bit of a kick for ourselves. That <laughs> previously we were both yeah, we were both challenging, challenging for Champions in the same place. Yeah, yeah. And now you're on the verge of going into the Championship, and we're still trying to get into the Champions League. So the, the clubs have gone in two very different directions, and we often talk <laughs> yes. about the fact that his, his wallet has remained closed and that he's, he's you know, he's, the budget that the club is running on is next to nothing now and he's he's trying to pimp you out to potential buyers very unsuccessfully. And I just wondered what, what the ownership status is and uh, has that changed at all or is he still the main reason as to why you've, you've dropped off so dramatically? Well, yeah, I mean, look, Learn to put a lot of money in. When we were challenging with you guys, um, you know, to try and get fourth spot and finishing, you know, we were we were sixth and seventh or whatever it was. Um, he he put a lot of money in. He 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 spent a lot of money and um, he had his fingers burnt. And he was also kind of betrayed a little bit by Martin O'Neill, who left us five days before the start of the season after demanding more money for more players. And Lerner saying, "Well, I already pay Habib Bay, uh, Steve Sidwell." Carlos Queller and whoever else to sit on the bench. Why don't you use those players? Huh. Why are you asking me for more money? And so O'Neill got in a hump and left. And ever since, we've been carrying expensive mistakes on the wage budget. And a lot is made about the fact that our wage budget is higher than Dortmund's and our wage budget is higher than whoever else is just over overachieving in Europe. It's always us and QPR that are the... Um, the, the, the examples there when people say, oh, they're doing really well and their wage budget is less than Aston Villa's. Um, yeah, it, that's true. It is because we're still carrying 70 grand a week Darren Bent. We're still carrying 55 grand a week Shea Given. And, you know, Lerner's a rich man, but he's not that rich. Jesus. And you have to you have to try and you basically you have to get get out from underneath these contracts one way or the other before you can reinvest that money into players that can play football. So all, you have, all Villa have been trying to do for the last three years is not get relegated and just do the bare minimum until all these fuckers get off our bill, like Darren Bent and Shea Given, so that we can finally start using that money for players that can, that can actually help us. Um, and until we're out from all of those, we are, we are going to be in trouble. Now, Bent finally finishes his contract this summer. Given's still got a year after that. Inzogby has still got a year after that. Hutton's been signed to a new, longer, but lower wage deal. So we are coming to the end of it. But this whole three-year, four-year period where we've been sort of flirting with relegation is really just our rebuilding process. But we've been trying to do it from 17th place rather than from the championship, if you, if you get what I mean. Actually, to back up Sam's point, that I, uh, I don't know if, uh, if, if any of you guys have, have seen it or if anyone listening has, but um, uh, the Swiss Ramble blog did a really really good exploration of, of Villa's recent finances and their accounts and actually it kind of emphasises just how big and how much of a struggle um, that, that wage bill has been and how much of a burden around the club it must have been. And you can kind of, it's, it's a pretty good graphical analysis of, of, of what Lerner has essentially tried to do over these past few years. Um, so that's worth a look if you, if you haven't already seen it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much, yeah, exactly. I, I've read that as well and it does kind of put it all out into into a very readable uh, sort of realm for you. And yeah, basically we, we've been making like 60 million pound losses and most of it is because of the wages. Um, and of course there are other things as well, like, you know, you invest less money, you get worse, less fans come. Uh, O'Neill's final season, I think we averaged a 39,000 crowd um, over the season. 
uh, in a forty-two thousand seater stadium, which is which is which is a good crowd. Uh, we're down to you know some nights now we go down to twenty-two. You know when you look at the Riverside Stadium and think, blah, where is everyone? That's kind of how it is now with us. Not a nice place to be. One, if we're going to look ahead to the game itself, Sam, given uh, what you've seen thus far with Sherwood, how can you see yourselves setting up um, and approaching this match? Because you'd think as as much as he'd want to approach the game as if there were there were no emotional attachment to the tie, as we've spoken about with Sherwood's ego, I'm sure he'll be desperate to get one over over Spurs. And I guess from what we saw during his time in charge at Spurs, he often gave big games a go, as it were. So do you, do you think you will be coming to White Hart Lane looking for the three points? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he won't be able to put it to the back of his mind just as much as you guys can't put it to the back of yours. Um, I think it will be a, a very mutual uh, lust for a win. Um, we probably will end up playing either four four two or Diamond like we did against QPR. <laughs> he very rarely... He's very so far. He's very rarely sort of played with a four-three-three, even when it was has been completely and utterly necessary. Like when our four-four-two got completely ripped apart by Swansea's diamond, and he stood there for ninety minutes and just watched it happen. And I was stood in the whole tent screaming my head off. Um, so yeah, I think we'll attack. I'd be I'd be happier with the diamond than I would be with the four-four-two. But he'll definitely try and get Agbonlahor and Benteke up up front again together. Uh, he may play Grealish, but he might go to Charles and Zogbier instead here just behind the strikers but yeah I mean we'll, we'll have we'll have numbers in the box we'll be going forward and we'll, we'll concede some goals <laughs> who was it who was it he played Chadley in defensive midfield against I don't know I can't remember he he did once it was he played Kyle Walker as a libero at Stamford Bridge <laughs> that, that was just <laughs> uh, what oh, yeah he um it was it was kind of it was designed really I, it was transparently his his statement moment about how innovative a coach he was and and um team got read out at Stamford Bridge and 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 Kyle Walker was given this kind of weird free roll coming off you know, the 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 high side of the right midfield you just thought this is going to be a fun day <laughs> <laughs> Um, to be honest, yeah, we look back. At, we look back at those faux pas. But I did. I did watch him against Burnley at the weekend, in which he played like I don't even know what that formation was, um, with with no right winger and an injured Kyle Walker coming out at half time, only to be replaced two minutes later. Your entire right side can't even run, and Pochettino goes, "Yeah, I think we'll just do another forty-five of that, please." So, you know, that's not. It's not. Um, it's never perfect, is it? No, no. Well, you know what? I think. Um, We've entered a, a stage of the season where I think we, we've kind of it's it's not a nothing to play for scenario, but I, I think there are there are quite a few questions in our squad which need answering before the summer because a couple of players have to go and and a few decisions have to be made on assets who are potentially still worth something on the market. So I think you know, players like Polinio and, and Kirikas are, are are being crowbarred into the side for the sake of you know making a decision ahead of June and July and, and I, I think I think our um our structure is gonna suffer as a result of that for the next sort of six or seven. Well, mate, this is this is why we need someone like Sherwood back because he's the big man to make these big decisions, mate. You know? He'll <laughs> yeah. he shake the foundations, you know, that's what he's like. Yeah. Um we've like, watched Paulinho against Burnley and he <sighs> is an absolute joke. He's a joke, isn't he? It's ridiculous. I thought I thought at one stage that he must have been doing it on purpose, losing the ball. 
I just thought you you've got to be trying to lose the ball to do it this often. It was and that shot after that run was absolutely sublime. I was in I was in I was in hysterics basically. Hey Sam, I invite you on this podcast so we can laugh at Aston Villa getting relegated, not so you can take shots at us, alright? <laughs> I get one, I get one. It's only Paulinho. <laughs> it's kicking a man while he's down, I feel sorry I, for Paulinho I, I, every I time. That. I, I know that I'll get hammered for saying that, but I just, I watched him play for Brazil before he signed, and I thought, okay, it's different, international football is, it, 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 is a, a context for nothing, and it, it's not equatable to Premier League life, and he may well never suit English football. He, he, he may never, you know, be anything to Tottenham. But I think he's, he still has a career at, at, a, at a pretty high level, Polina. He's, um, I don't know, I just, I think he's just broken rather than he hasn't just become, we didn't buy £20 million worth of rubbish. We bought £20 million and turned him into something which is rubbish and, and which has no productivity whatsoever. But he, um, I don't know, I, I still think he... Um, Actually, I'm just going to stop talking. It's just getting worse. Actually. He'll destroy the Syria, you know. Who will? Like that, something like that will happen, and Spurs fans will be like, "Why didn't we ever give him a chance?" But bring back the Norseman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the problem um, you guys that... will have is you'll, you'll you'll offer him out, and Milan will offer offer a loan deal with a permanent. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com fee of four million uh, ten million pounds say uh after a year stash him away not play him tell me that he wasn't good enough and come back with an offer of two and a half million pounds uh oh, for, so for the entire deal Daniel and TV. no chance get, yeah <laughs> no that, that's chance. what they'll try isn't it it's he'll just... get 25 i promise <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've had a couple of lists of questions here for you actually sam um First I've just one seen one from... flash up on my iPad from Ben Lewis about Danny Rose. <laughs> Ben's pushing this one. He's, he's, he's loving it about Danny Rose being the greatest left back of a generation. But we'll, uh, we'll skim over that one. Sorry, Ben. Um, one from Mr. Elcaster's answer to Cafu. <laughs> Windy Coys, Chris Miller. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know of him. Um, famous. You know, that's, that's the type of, that's the caliber of tweets we get, mate, or tweeters, I should say. Um, that's not sarcasm, Chris, by the way. You know, I love you. Um, who, who would Sam fear more, Townsend or Lamella? Uh, Townsend. Um, Townsend, because, yeah, because Lamella's not, not very good anymore, isn't he? He's a bit like Paulinho. I think he's got a career at a high level, like Seb said, in another league. Um, and he was very good for Roma, of course. Um, but he's been... But, and I was, I was actually at the opening game of the season to watch West Ham Spurs, and I, I thought... 
I thought I saw this sort of, um, you know, the start of a little sort of Lamella Ericsson partnership where they were just obsessed with passing to each other and pass and move and creating little triangles. And it looked really cute. It looked like they really enjoyed playing together, but it just hasn't materialised just like the first season never materialised. So um, I don't fear Lamella. God, I hope he doesn't score a 30 yarder against us now or a Rabona. But um, <laughs> yeah, he, and he probably will as well. He's been saving it for us. But I think Andros at the moment, um, yeah, he's, he's more direct and just a bit more powerful and he he can score a bit more regularly. I think Townsend will be really, really, really fired up for this one given that it's Sherwood in the opposite corner because if you follow his father's tweets about Sherwood, yeah. he does not hold back his punches and given how close a proximity he has to the football club and obviously the the access to the inner workings of it that the normal lemming like us wouldn't uh, given that his son plays for the club that the things he must have heard back about Sherwood and perhaps the dealings and the, the things he may have had with him previously has obviously given him the impression of the man that he is a bell end because every time that Sherwood says something or does something stupid Troy Townsend tweets about it and he doesn't hold back. Yeah, Troy Townsend's so full blooded a... on Twitter about Sherwood, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he, he clearly doesn't like him. And there was even instances last season um, where our players in, in interviews or even post-match interviews would be asked about Sherwood and they would <laughs> do everything within their power not to pay him a compliment. That Ericsson one's so telling. The Ericsson oh, yeah, one, when, yeah. when he's being like, oh, yeah, 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 we all listen to the boss. We, we think he's great, yeah. He's 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 great. Like he really inspires us. Yeah, and he just can't even keep a straight face. I think he actually looks off camera to someone as well and is laughing about it. It's uh... well, you know, the most telling one actually was Michael Dawson when when Dawson was must have been in a a press conference before or after a whole game and he was he was asked about Harry Kane and he was something that Sherwood had said about Kane. The usual, you know, um, one of the usual claims that he makes over Kane's entire career. Was was um, was repeated to Dawson, and he he just he dismissed it as a sort of he, he kind of the, the idea that Sherwood was the only person within the Tottenham structure who any, ever had any faith in Kane's ability. Kind of laughed it off as a sort of you know well you know the entire first team were aware of what he was. I mean I, I don't I, I was someone who never had any faith in Harry Kane, so I'm not going to criticise anybody for it. But um, yeah, and Daw- Dawson Dawson's a very straight down the middle kind of guy. Um, I, I liked his little uh, his little quote about that, didn't he? He said it like every time the under nineteen yeah, or under twenty yeah, ones yeah. would play, they'd all be saying like, "How many did you score today?" Then Harry sort of thing yeah. to him, which was uh, yeah, it was pretty nice. That it's so, so was that Jimmy Defoe uh, <laughs> interview as well that time, wasn't there? Where he was asked who the best finisher at the club was, and given that there was Adibayor and Soldado and him the club at the time and he picked out Harry Kane who hadn't really played for the first team that much um, was quite telling I mean at the time it was still when Harry Kane was a bit of an ironic joke to most people so people sort of didn't really take his answer as being that serious but what has emerged since he, he obviously was telling some version of the truth yeah yeah absolutely. he might have just been political though you know he might have been hanging out with, with Bobby and Emmanuel that night and uh, <laughs> just didn't just didn't fancy upsetting any of them does that sound like a likely trio? No. And we've just, I don't know, this sounds, this feels a bit nasty, but it's actually, I think it's a fairly decent question because Villa haven't had the best of times lately. Um, v Lee, I think it's pronounced, at Rob V4, 
asks you, Sam, when was the last time you were hyped about something Villa related? Hyped as in as an excited or uh, I guess you know, so, yeah. Um, I think or, if that's Raj, can you translate for that's you know, quite I don't know if that's question, like that's young person speak? What did he say exactly? Sorry. He said when was the last time Sam was hyped about something Villa related? I'm not sure. I think it just means excited about Aston Villa. I'd say probably the 2010 Capital One Cup final at Wembley, which we lost. Is that the one where... Vidic um, should have been sent Vidic off. Vidic should have been sent off. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that only after about 10 seconds? It was like well. four minutes in, yeah. Phil Dowd. Fucking unbelievable. I'm still... You've clearly let that one go. Very, Mike very, very that well. for that. But I was in the... You know, I was in the Villa end that day and um, just, just, just awful. Just awful. I mean, Milner scored the penalty, fine, but... You know, we I reckon we would have beaten Man United with ten men over ninety minutes, um, with a goal advantage. I think we'd have done it. Uh never mind, feel down. Jimmy Milner. Um all right, Sam, what any just uh, in parting, it care to give us a score prediction for the weekend? Um well, I've all I've so far I've always predicted a loss, so I'm gonna stay with that. Because um, it's I've been right every time, so why <laughs> why would I change? Um, two one, two one. I think you'll win. I think we'll get a goal. But if we can score against De Gea, then I think we can probably score. Is Michel Vorm in? Is it going to be Vorm? Uh, not sure yet. All right. It so. depends how how much they're cutting Larissa's leg is healed. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. It, yeah, two two one. I think two one. Unfortunately, still a loss. It's basically a, a biannual beating we get at the hands of Spurs, isn't it? Um, feels that way anyway. When was the last time we actually beat you? The, the um the, the return of this fixture is one of the most unjust results I think I've ever seen. Although, yeah, uh, which yeah. made it far more enjoyable, but it was um it was absolute robbery. We it did was, nothing it? for eighty minutes. I think you, you, for the early Premiership years, I always seem to recall you like having the. Uh, Sort of the best of the spoils, really. I, I often seem to remember Villa being a game that we lost, so I don't have any sympathy. They were just evening out. I think so. I remember that that game. It was bad. And what was worse is that I, I saw was it your website did a. Was it the Harry Kane uh, like go, like goal of the month or the goal or his best goal of the season? Yeah, or something a little like highlight that? reel of his goals this season. Yeah, and they started with that deflected free kick. Yeah, Sky Sports ran a ran a highlight reel. They only, <laughs> and they only showed Sky Sports only showed or ITV or whoever it was. They only showed I think three goals, and he scored. Is it nineteen? So there have definitely been better goals than that free kick <laughs> that went in off Nathan Baker's head and completely changed direction. That was absolutely ridiculous. But never mind. Well done to Harry Kane. Anyway, I haven't said that this season. So actually, the, on here anyway. But well done to the him. The best moment of that game was actually um, chasing the game. Chadley scores the equaliser. We clearly need to go and win the game, but. Instead of going to get the ball from the back of the net, he runs into the corner by himself to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Just tremendous, like laugh. Wasn't that a really good goal though? Was that that back post? Yeah, back post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good goal. To be yeah, fair to him, I mean, Jermaine Defoe was crying after his goal at half time. So that goal was worth a cry, though. Right then. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for joining us, and uh, good luck keeping your sanity under Sherwood for the for the rest of the year, mate. Thank, thank you. I, I, I do, I do hope that he. Obviously, obviously, I hope he keeps us up. Um, but then I do, I do honestly hope that we that we pay him off and get somebody else um, in the <laughs> summer. Gen- genuinely, although that won't happen. Obviously, um, that would be nice. Never mind. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tai. Um, I really, you know what, lads, I'm I'm absolutely bricking this one. I I I, I don't 
honestly think I'll be able to cope. I think this will be the thing that pushes me over the edge. Like, I know I've been teetering on that edge for quite a while, and you've probably, you know, I don't know if any of the listeners have, have picked this up from, be it my existential crisis Mondays tweets that I put out, or just my, you know, my... You started this pod with a meltdown, mate. They might have... They might have exactly. That. Yeah. But I think Sherwood winning at White Hart Lane against Pochettino and the resulting press chat and uh, I, I couldn't I don't I don't know what I'd do I really don't and it just seems like a horrible grim reality that's gonna happen I don't know mm. I've, got, I've just got a very bad feeling I do I don't think no, it's gonna happen either. um I think we'll win um I'd like us to win by about 10 if possible <laughs> oh, and completely embarrassing glorious. but I think it I think it may be slightly more um, I'd like us to win. Slightly more of a competition than we, perhaps we might want it to be. all the players that he disregarded. I'd like us to stack the team with Lamellas <laughs> and Soldados and score four. That would just be a wonderful, wonderful yeah. Saturday. Be, do, um, I can't remember who it was. Someone tweeted earlier saying something to the effect of, can you imagine if we lost via a Bentaleb own goal in the 89th <laughs> minute? <laughs> it's just... Oh, just his face, everything about him. Like I'm so, I'm, I really am happy to see. I mean, not so happy for like you know, you know the Villa fans being in pain. We didn't even hate George Graham this much. No, which is so. Weird. Maybe we would have done if Twitter existed. Yeah, perhaps. maybe he just wasn't given a forum. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I think uh, given how much we've publicly and especially I've publicly gone out of my way to say how much I dislike him. Um, the fact that it's only taken a few weeks for Sam Tai to be in a similar yeah. sort of mindset exactly. with the man, is, is, it actually makes me feel quite happy that I, it's not just me and my own sort of prejudice against him that is making me feel that way. The fact that he, and the reason why I asked him that question is, is the way you feel reflected in the wider fan base and the fact that he just said yeah everyone's pretty much fed up with him and the fact that he ended the conversation by saying he wants him gone in the summer (laughs) pretty much you know was yeah and and Sam's a he's a very you know level-headed person when it comes to these things given the amount of football and things he does so he's not the type of knee-jerky fan that you might expect to say that type of thing so for him to feel that strongly about someone after such a short amount of time is a is a very telling, you know, a very big indictment on how bad a person Tim Sherwood is. I follow, I follow quite a few uh, Villa fans and they all seem to say the same thing, which is, he's not that bad, but I just wish he'd shut the fuck up, you know? And it's, it's kind of how we felt. I mean, you, you can, as we did, pick apart everything that he did and his tactical naivety and just some of his decisions, but the overriding thing was just shut up Tim yeah. just stop you know and well, he's doing it again now kind of ram it down everyone's throat if he just went to if he'd just gone to Villa done a good job then the entire Tottenham fan base would have just choked on their on their little memes and their, their vines and you know, the, the endless Twitter hashtags that would have been the way to combat that but he just he fuels it day after day after day yeah, with his yeah. little you know his uh I don't know. I'm not even sure what the right word is for. Um, it's probably it's kind of narcissism, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I think I, I, I said this offline to you, but I think given the way in which um, 
the you know managers, especially English managers, are dealt with um, being given jobs. They sometimes are given uh, preferable treatment if they if they are seen as a sort of a steady pair of hands. Had he sort of kept his mouth closed and and conducted himself with some semblance of professionalism, he may have been able to forge himself a career of being a, a one of those names you just see linked here and there, and he'll drop in and out of clubs, do eighteen months, two years here. You know, do that for for fifteen, twenty years, and slowly work his way down the leagues as it happens, and he'll make a decent chunk doing that, and we'll we'll have a fairly decent, reputable career as a manager. But the fact he's so boom and bust, and and you know has so much hubris in what he says, and <laughs> he's creating so many headlines. It's you know, he he's that embodiment of something trying to shine too brightly and it will just fade out quicker than everything else because he's not pacing himself he's he's trying to give himself too much to do too soon painting him to be the complete product too soon and he's gonna end up wasting the rest of his career and not being able to give himself the rest of his career because if he gets relegated with Aston Villa after talking himself up like Christ has returned there isn't a football club that will want to touch him in the Premier League he'll have to go into lower league management and given the ego on the man and given the way in which he's conducted himself previously especially between leaving Tottenham and joining Aston Villa the amount of jobs he he deemed himself too worthy to go to will and you would never take yeah, him. we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll count out for him. So we 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 compared him to um, Les Reed, and that's not anything against Les Reed. But the example we gave was that perhaps he's one of those people that may be a good person to have within the infrastructure of a club because he is admittedly not totally terrible. He he had a fantastic reputation when he was in inside the the the, the mainframe of Tottenham rather than the the head coach. So. If he could do what Les Reed has done, and he was horrific at Charlton, Les Reed as head coach, and he never was given another opportunity to do that again, just because of how bad he was. But he's he's one of the main reasons as to why Southampton are in the position they are now, because he installed himself within that position within there, he and he's done a as well. He was part of that. Yeah, and he's 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 made a role for himself within a football club where he can affect the results on the first team that isn't the manager, and and everyone needs a a good back room behind them and I don't think Tim Sherwood is is creating that sort of thing for him now because he's he's obviously thinks he's too big to be a, a backroom staff member now. I think one of the first things he ever said in probably his first ever press conference with Tottenham was that he'd never want to go down to being an assistant manager again now that he'd be given one chance in the thing, in, in the hot seat. And we've just had uh, Chris Ramsey in the past week admit that if QPR wanted him to go back to being a coach after uh, being the manager for the end of the season, then he would happily do so because he knows the value of being in different positions within a club and he hasn't had that sort of ego that Sherwood has. So not to want to speak about him too much because it genuinely isn't one of my favourite things to do, although I spend to, seem to spend quite a bit of my time doing it. He's a, he's a very troubling character, given that he's uh, he's just so disruptive and, uh, and dislikable. Uh, going back to something Sam was talking about during his segment, uh, Mr Christian Benteke, is, is he a player you'd be interested in Spurs signing at all this summer for the right price at all, lads? Or you know, would you see his injury-proneness as, a, as an issue that we probably don't want? It's not his injury-proneness that I wouldn't like. It's his, um, I believe he's got a, uh, a very uh, ambitious 
agent and he said things previously about you know the way in which he conducted himself before signing that contract extension at Aston Villa the first time mm. he was sort of trying to whore himself out and making kissy faces at other clubs and given that he would be coming into the club t- to be direct competition or play under or play in rotation with Harry Kane is not something I think he would do comfortably I think he would after a while if Kane was to continue in the same form he is doing now and he would have to play second fiddle to that he would end up being more of a hindrance than a help and I don't think he is the sort of player we need I think we need somebody who is a little more happy to play a slightly lesser role to begin with and sort of grow themselves into the club rather than somebody who will come with the expectations of being given a first team berth from the get go and his his job then will be not to lose that rather than to earn it so personally although there are benefits to his game and he's a good striker he's not somebody i i think would fit in the in in the squad with the with the players we've got currently i think it would be a mistake, and I think it would probably be an accident waiting to happen in terms of the the um, the mood around the place. To be honest, I think it's too too much money as well. I don't think you know he's got so much time left on his contract that, barring something ridiculous happening like us making a fortune out of selling Polinio or something, we just we we couldn't go as high as Villa would need for to, to sell him because they, they would get. I mean, someone would be willing to pay upwards of twenty five million for him. Um, so I just, you know, and we're not, by, by all accounts, I mean, we're not willing to go be outside of that sort of 10, 15 million pound range anymore. So Exactly. We, we spoke about that last yeah, week, we didn't did. we? The yeah. fact that Levy has specifically come out. Which and, I'm happy with. And, I'm uh, with that. I, yeah. Because uh, like, right, that, that, uh, the writer's point is right. I think, you know, you want players who aspire to get to a level rather than assuming that they belong at a level. And I think that's the culture that has to has to be germinated within the squad. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Defoe scored a nice goal this weekend. I just think it's a, an absolute shame that we didn't bring him back on a free in uh, in January, to be honest with you. He looks so weird in a red and white shirt I'm as well. I'm completely joking, by the way. Just, 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 just <laughs> was a nice goal, though. was a nice goal. Lovely goal. I think it's, <laughs> he's scored about three, hasn't he, in, in half a year for them? Something like that. So ridiculous. But, you know, there, were, there are legitimate calls for... You know, well, the usual kind of cat cries of disgrace that we didn't sign him after he scored that, which is predictable, isn't it? Really, of our of our fan base nowadays. Same or people that now want Pochettino off. out as well after after Burnley. Oh, bulldoze the stadium. I can believe that was actually the one I highlighted to you that was actually saying it actually said hashtag Bring Harry back. You just think, come on, what planet do you live on? Although I think you kind of agreed with the bloke, didn't you, Seth? <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. Love that kind of mentality. That's actually quite a popular one. I've read people who are doing that in an unironic way. Still, after all these years and after they've seen what he's done next, they still, um, they still won't let it go. Another thing, actually, that I would like to jump in on, talking about our uh, knee-jerk, bizarre fan base, um, is I've seen that the... the Tottenham Hotspur supporters trust have been copping a bit of stick lately. Um, and Martin and Kat, um, Martin Cloak and Kat, I can't remember her surname, <laughs> who uh, do head up the trust, um, really don't deserve it. I think, like, you know, poor results happen. Um, 
and it's just these kind of insinuations that you often see from certain circles of the fan base um, saying that they're what useless and they don't just that you know they 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 don't care about the supporters that they don't bother doing anything they don't make an effort to make a difference blah 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 that it's just absolute crap bollocks. that is yeah. absolute nonsense I mean they're, just... they're just they're guys that you know they've fought tirelessly against kind of banning orders the use of the Y word they've yeah, I, I know it sounds a bit silly, but we're talking like, you know, even down to issues such as like, you know, improved waiting times in the catering areas and toilets and stuff on a match day. All these kind of things that happen behind the scenes that are geared towards a better supporting experience that just get overlooked because we have a bad result here or there or that the chairman said we're not going to spend more than £15 million on a on a player. It's, you know cut these people some slack they they do day jobs as well um and yeah they're going out their way to try and make a tangible difference which they are so yeah i just wanted to sort of cats uh cats surnames law by the way that's um, the one katrina law. I, i've got a um yeah i've got i've got a pretty a unique experience of the trust given that I tend to use them most as a source of information rather than uh, someone to represent me with the club. Um, whenever I write an article about Tottenham and I want to fact check something or I want to make sure what I'm saying isn't uh, wrong or is actually got some corroboration behind it, given their access to the club and given that they happily, whenever you contact them, no matter who you are, will have an open dialogue with yourself, no matter what questions you've got to raise, no matter what you're asking of them, uh, if you ever get in contact with them, as I often do whenever I need some research doing that I'm too lazy to do and I want them to just send me something for, um, they they happily do and it's, it's an invaluable source for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to, to write things with as much confidence as I do because they wouldn't have the, the support and the facts behind them. So given that that's my experience of them and given that I know the work they do and the the hours of their free time it must take up it's um it is it's almost like running a charity in a sense and whichever way you look at it they are volunteers and they are doing it on a volunteer basis and that alone is worth some level of uh, of appreciation and i don't think there are anyone whatsoever to vent frustrations that if they, if you do have a uh a discrepancy with an organisation like that, then it is open for you to join and, and make your own impression on. So if you do feel passionately enough to to speak dis- disparagingly about somebody, then you know uh, act with your actions and, uh, and and ensure that you're able to do that job better than the person you're trying to um, be negative about. Essentially, I, I, I do my best to, to try and stay away from anyone. Uh, saying anything to you bad about anything I, I think I've mastered the art of, uh, of following the least amount of people on social media as possible and, and, and I hope I'm a good judge of character although given the amount of times I speak to Jack during the week exactly I'm, not sure that's, say, uh, right. I'm not sure that's uh, that's the case but, um, what have you been doing for the past two years with me you know? <laughs> yeah exactly it is worrying that it's coming on two years that we've sat here and talked to each other so uh, but that's a, that's a conversation for the other uh, another day. Is that is that why I came on board? Is this like the kind of the the, the podcasting version of when like a, a married couple who are bored? Yeah, you are our threesome. You've spiced up the sex. You're our Meacham. Sebs our Meacham. Yeah, I said that in the text. I, I, I was going to go with something a little bit, bit, bit easier on the on on the on the on the mind. I was going to suggest that like you know when a, when a, um, a married couple run out of things to talk about, they just they have a child. 
just so that you know they have something else they have something else in common no you're definitely that, that, you're more of a meacham than a child yeah. although every <laughs> time we have to you out, you just, every time we have to teach you how to use garage band on a weekly basis it is like speaking to a child so <laughs> there is that comparison there we agreed not to record that bit <laughs> Remember, we, 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 we decided we weren't going to talk about this on the actual pod. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah. Have, have we got any other business, Jack? Because I don't think there's any football for us to talk about anymore. Is there any TV or anything? I don't think there is, aside for, like, you know, I've started getting into Better Call Saul a lot more. I'm, I'm going to start watching it now because I was I waiting like for that. it to finish before I started watching it because I absolutely adored Breaking Bad, and it was it was fantastic. So the, the, I, I was the, the overriding thing about yeah, go for it, sorry. I, I was just going to say I was only waiting for it to finish so that I could consume it all at once rather than having to wait on a weekly basis. The overriding thing about Better Call Saul that I I just love about it is it's almost like because they built such a, a dynasty with Breaking Bad, the the creators have now been afforded that freedom to just. It, it feels like such a, a passion project, Better Call Saul. It feels so self-indulgent and just so not driven by a studio or by kind of corporate sponsors or by kind of meddling producers and execs that want to try and drive some kind of, I don't know, some kind of like big numbers narrative. It just feels like, look, this is what we're making. Watch it or don't. And it's just, it's, it's, Oh, it's 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 brilliant because if you actually try and describe if if it was a standalone thing and you tried to describe the events and the overall story of this first series, people would probably think, well, that actually sounds quite dry. But when you watch it and you're just invested in it and you see the way the the characters unfold and I don't know, it's just it's so subtle and it's so brilliant in in its overall design. It's I, I wasn't overly convinced of that. So I think I went into it with a very sceptical kind of mind, but it's won me over. It's brilliant. It, it, it's truly fantastic. I think you always have to be sceptical, though, because you, 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 because of what we heard about it, it was kind of... It was easy to imagine it being kind of underwhelming um, because that, that, the, the, character, the original Saul character in Breaking Bad is kind of... I don't know, it's kind of one-dimensional. Yeah. Way. So you thought... Is this just going to be like a kind of? Are we just going to get you know a, a one-off ten-episode series of of what would basically be a, you know a series of set pieces, you know, like him dealing with a kind of um, Hinkman Walter White style characters, you know, continuously? They've actually made him really three-dimensional, which I love. I love the, it. The only criticism I do have of it is that and it, it's just. I don't know, it's so unbelievably naff and just feels really out of place, are the odd flashbacks they have to him as a youngster when it's still the yeah, same yeah. actor, but he's just kind of got longer hair and he smokes a bong and stuff. Wait, it's wait. It, it's so poorly done. It, it, and so, like, I, I don't know, uncharacteristically poor. A slightly different hair. Yeah, it, and, and wearing, like, a kind of Hawaiian shirt or something. It's so naff. But aside for that, yeah, yeah, it is it's, it's all very, very good. Um, the, the the thing that I've been invested in and, and watched a lot of late, as you two will know, is um, is the Jinx, the the HBO documentary on Robert Durst, and he's not a character I'd ever come across before. But I saw an article 
on the New Yorker about it and about a paragraph in I realised that there was this six part documentary and the paragraph was, you know, it, it sort of alluded to but didn't give away what the series was about and I'm not going to in any way give any sort of synopsis towards it because I think the way I digested it completely blindly not knowing who the man was not knowing what the documentary was about whatsoever i just completely on a whim downloaded it just because i thought oh this you know i think the new yorker have run about three different articles on this documentary alone i think it's it's quite a major news story now in america um because he's you know the, the as you will discover when you watch it the the person within it is is quite well known so um Without doing any sort of reading into it or knowing entirely what it's about, I, I implore you to find a way of watching the Jinx. Um, I think it's got some. I think, I think it's called the, the. I'm not sure what the longer title of it, but it's called the Jinx, and it's about Robert Durst. So I would find that. I think it's actually on. I think Sky may have it on any time if you want to watch it on that, or if you want to acquire it in the dark spaces on the internet. Um, it is available there too, as most things are. So. It is very much worth your time. It's only six parts, but it does in six parts what Serial failed to do in about 12. So it's um, it's very much worth your time. It is excellent. Yeah, I've wanted to watch this. I've heard very I, good things. I, um, I It's been around for a while, but I watched a, a really good documentary. It's part of the um, ESPN's 30 for 30 series. It's about uh, Chris Heron's struggle with um, um, OxyContin. Uh, and it's uh, it's called Unguarded, and shouldn't have too much trouble finding that in the usual places. But it's um, yeah, a lot of the ESPNs, um, a lot of that series is 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 kind of I, I, I don't know. It focuses on 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 not necessarily particularly relatable um, issues, but that's it's it's a must watch. It, it's um, it's very stark. It's very very honest. Um, and what he went through, he was basically. Uh, a basketball player who struggled with, you know, oxycontin, which is a uh, what's the word? Um, painkiller. An opiate. No, no, implant. Did you say? No. Painkiller. Uh, yeah, kind of. It's um, it's got a lot of, supposedly got a lot of similarities to heroin, and um, he had drug issues all the way through his college career, and he got to the NBA, and he was playing for the Boston Celtics whilst. You know, having this weird double life as a kind of um, an oxy freak, um, and he, his life gets startlingly low. And he, it's just a very, um, it's a very difficult story to hear, but it's it's also very heartwarming. And he's a very engaging person. Uh, it's called Unguarded. So um, you get the chance if you've got a spare hour and a half, and you're looking for a way to kill it, which isn't just in a sort of you know uh, live face down on the floor sort of way. Um, Give that a watch. It's um, it's great. They're always of really high quality as well. The ESPN ones. Um, yeah, I think they're actually really, owned by really Disney nowadays. Um, but there's oh, there, there's that one, isn't there? The the two Escobars about one of that's super. One about yeah. my one of my heroes, Pablo, and uh, the the footballer as well, um, and which is really yeah. really good. Um, and I think I've said previously on here to read anything you can on Pablo Escobar because he is he's a much more rounded character than. Uh, People tend to give him credit for, given what his uh, his life entailed. I think you, you've did you read the Escobar book? No, I didn't. But you know, when we had that conversation, I remember saying that um, uh, that his sort of his prosecution 
the, the, the focus of, of his prosecution for America kind of stemmed from, um, in part, from, from if, if I'm right, um, from the, the death of uh, Len Bias, who's also a basketball player, and that, his story is also part of the same 30 for 30 series. Um, so that's quite interesting as yeah, well. Yeah, I think there is some sort of statistic that if you were at some point during the time frame in which he was active in anywhere in the world, if you were snorting yeah. coke at some point, somebody <laughs> will have stepped on some of Pablo's coke. Um, yeah. But he reminded me when you say he, he that the, the player reached a low point, one of my favourite books, um, it's a real life, it's, it's not an autobiography, but it's... Um, do do you know? Did you hear of a, a writer at all for uh, the New York Times called David Carr at all? Uh, yeah, vaguely, but why? I, I can't. He yeah. he was one of their biggest writers, I believe. He had a, a technology, um, well, sort of a technology um, column in which he, he, in his usual fashion, his, his writing sense, he would write quite um, quite dryly about the topic of new things cropping up. There's a, a fantastic documentary, I think it might be called Page One, into the New York Times, which is worth watching. Um, it happened around the time of the financial crash and um, the time where like the first iPads and things were coming out and um, websites were having to launch their very first online portfolios, so people were deciding between subscription and paywall services and things like that and it goes into that and Carl's one of the main people there. He he died very recently as well. But um yeah, yeah, yeah. but his his story is that he was a absolute um dope and coke and crack fiend and his life couldn't have got any lower. He he had newborn twins that had to be taken off him because he he was essentially leaving them in the car and going into crack houses and getting off with prostitutes and doing horrendous amounts of drugs and he was at the lowest ebb possible and it was once his his kids and everything were taken off him that he had to set himself straight and become um, the sort of re- respected reporter he was. There's a fantastic bit in that, that page one documentary as well where he, in part of one of his columns, goes to investigate... Um, how Vice is operating, goes into their headquarters and just flips. They're having like this sort of ideas board meeting in Vice and coming from a broadsheet, he rips the shit out of them because they're <laughs> being really cocky. They're talking down about how broadsheets operate. They're, they're on about having somebody in a war zone and they're like, oh, we've had him here for three weeks and something. And uh, we've not even seen a story from you guys on it. And David Carr just goes... Fuck you! We've had someone there for about six years. Never mind six days. We run stories on him every week. We run the news. You take a few pretty pictures and send somebody with a DSLR and think you've you and know a, a safari. Hat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in a safari. Yeah, hat, yeah. yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, but he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book called um, "The Night of the Gun," um, which sat on a bookshelf. He he, with the same way in which he reports and investigates other people he reports and investigates on his own life as a drug addict. So he goes back and he finds people who dealt to him, finds people he was associated with at the time. And it's just a book about his lowest ebb, having recovered. He goes back and sort of dredges it all up. And it is fantastic. He's, he's got a really dry, really dark sense of humour and it is really worth a read. He's, he's a fantastically gifted writer. It's a, it's a shame he's no longer alive and, and reporting because he's, he's one of few reporters, whether or not he, what subject matter he was writing on, he was always somebody that would always have a level of appeal in what they wrote. And it is a hilarious book, although it is depressing at times given the, the subject matter as well. Sounds great. Um, 
I, I don't mean that sarcastically again. I, I think I have a propensity to sound sarcastic, but it does actually sound really good. I'm looking it up now. Quite like to read it. No, it's fantastic. He like he talks to his parents and his kids and their memories of how he was at the time, and it's and it's one of those things that you know if you've been through something like that, oh, the last thing you would expect. I know. To... Yeah, I know the one. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably had a bigger profile than I'm giving him credit yeah, for. But yeah, he, yeah. He is. Um, he was hilarious. He was always somebody who was very vocal about journalism mm. as a as a field and a profession. So it's um, it's it's something to look into if you, if you're at all interested in good writing, because uh, he is uh, a man with a story. Watch that Vice interview. But yeah, if you watch the whole documentary because yeah. it's really interesting as to just sort of remembering that entire time period in the field and how they're sort of having these really odd conversations about. Um, like WikiLeaks and and things like that at the time, and they're talking about oh, how much are we going to charge people to click on articles and stuff like. It's a very uh, strange way of looking at how it was dealt with in the the first instance. Now that we're sort of in in the middle of it, and papers are still having to sort of try and reposition themselves. It's a it's a really interesting insight into the entire entire field. And as I said, David Carr is a centerpiece of it. Is He's uh, his demeanour is just very confrontational. He he doesn't um, hold back because I think once you've been as low as he is, you're not very scared of sharing your thoughts. No, right, sure. Right. Well, I believe we'll call it a night there, chaps. How's that sound by everyone? We all agreed. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, let's do it. Past my bedtime, absolutely. Let's do it. Then. Yeah. Let's do it. So, if you do want to listen to any previous episodes of Rule the Roost podcast. You can do so on iTunes or on the Spurs Statman website, which is spursstatman.com. Uh, be sure to keep sending through your Spurs-themed articles to Mr. Steve Jennings. Um, I, I always forget his fucking Twitter handle, but just send them to one of us. Send them to at... R- at stevegen93. Uh, or at RTRSSM, which is the rule, the roost account. Um, also follow the boss man, as I call him, JP's account at Spurs Statman. Um, nothing much more to say other than if we lose to Aston Villa, there won't be a podcast ever, ever, ever again. Come on, you Spurs! Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.